I want to share with you an idea from last week's Torah portion. Unfortunately, our recording didn't work out properly, so I'm re-recording it for your enjoyment. Very fundamental idea for us here on the DNA of creation. It's the Gabriel Haran Show. I want to share with you a insight into the weekly Torah portion based upon the teachings of Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism. So in last week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayera, Avraham, the first Jew, just completed the very first mitzvah given to the first Jew. That is the mitzvah of circumcision, bris. So somehow in this mitzvah is a message about the meaning of what it means to be Jewish. The essence of our mission, our unique mission in this world. So I want to explain to you what bris is all about. So let's start by taking a look at the beginning of the Parsha. So the Parsha begins that Avram is three days after his circumcision, and he's sitting outside his tent. And he's having, the Torah tells us, a revelation of God. He's having a spiritual, incredible spiritual experience. God appears to him. Suddenly, Avram looks up, and he sees three Arabs in the distance. And he turns to God, and he says, God, I'll be back. And he runs, and he brings these three Arab travelers into his house, and he gives them food and drink, and he makes them a five-course meal, incredible meal. And from here, the Talmud tells us, an incredibly Jewish idea. You think that the goal of Judaism must be to be spiritual, right? It's, it's a religion. We want to, we appreciate spirituality, but the Torah says actually that's not true. Says the Torah, you might think it's an incredibly high level to have God appear to you and have a prophetic spiritual experience. Says the Talmud, it's much greater to receive guests and to serve the hungry than it is to receive the Divine Presence. What is the meaning of that? Additionally, I want to share with you a teaching of the Talmud, that in this week's Parsha, Avram is sitting outside his tent, the Torah says, in the heat of the day. And the Talmud says that God on that day did not want to trouble Avraham with guests, because he knew that Avraham loved greeting guests, but according to uh, the circumcision process, as the skin begins to heal, the third day is actually the most painful day. So the Talmud says that God didn't want to trouble Avraham with guests, so he made the day extremely hot. And the Talmud says he removed the sun from its sheath, so that it was unnaturally hot, so that guests wouldn't come. But then the Talmud says God saw that Avraham was so troubled by the fact that he had no one to greet that day, no one to serve, that God sent three angels in the guise of Arabs in order for Avram to have guests to serve. So it's very troubling, this whole story, because first of all, why did God have to do this whole miraculous thing of removing the sun from its sheath, whatever that means? We'll understand that Kabbalistically shortly. Why didn't God just make it that no guests wanted to come that day? Right? God controls all of our thoughts in the deepest level, so just make it that no one decided to pass that way that day. Why did he make it uncannily hot? Number two, once he saw that, God knew that Avram was going to be bothered by that. So why do you have to go through the whole 
thing in the first place. He knew that Avraham wanted to greet guests so badly, so he should have just not done through the whole thing in the beginning, just made it a normal day and let Avraham have guests. But once, if for some reason God didn't realize that somehow, which God is om- omniscient, so it doesn't make any sense, but if somehow, for some reason, God wanted to do it this way, so then once he saw that Avraham was troubled by there not being guests, why didn't he just, why did he have to make angels come as his guests? Why didn't he just put the sun, the sheath back on the sun, make it not so hot, and let guests come naturally? So the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. So I want to try to understand the essence of circumcision, how it embodies the message of Judaism. And additionally, I want to understand what is Judaism all about? What did Avram bring to the world that was so unique? So if I ask you, Avram the first Jew, if you look in a history book, what, what, was, what was he famous for? So the answer is, Avram was the first monotheist. It's the answer that most people will give you. But the truth is that is incorrect. There were plenty of monotheists in the world before Avraham. Noah wasn't a monotheist. Noah's children and grandchildren were prophets and monotheists. Adam and many others in the Torah's chronology of human history believed in God, had direct revelation of God. So what made Avraham so unique? So answer number one is that Avram was the first person, as we discussed in last week's Torah portion, Lech Lecha, was the first person to come to find God on his own. Avram did not grow up a believer in God. He grew up an idolater. And on his own, through his intellectual, philosophical, scientific inquiries, he came to the recognition and the conclusion that there had to be one creator. It was not through prophecy, but it was through logic and reason. So Avram was the first person to find God on his own. He only had direct prophetic revelation until much, much later in his life. That's answer number one. Answer number two is that Avram was the first person to go out and teach Judaism, so to speak, to teach monotheism to the world. There were other believers, Shem and Aver were two prophets who had a, an academy or a monastery, but they worked very much on their own meditation, their own, their own spiritual practice. Anyone who came was welcome to learn with them, but they didn't go out and bring it to the masses. Avram went out to the street. He went out into the desert. He opened up his tent. He had a soup kitchen. He said, come, let me teach you about God. That's answer number two. But answer number three is even more profound. Because Avram did something completely unique that had never existed before. His understanding of God was completely different. Because you see, the other prophets of the time, the other spiritual people, believed in God of the heavens. That God existed in the spiritual realm and our job to connect to spirituality was to disconnect from physicality because our physical bodies bring us very far from spirituality our physical bodies enjoy engaging in the physical pleasures of this world so if you want to be spiritual it makes a lot of sense you have to disconnect from physicality and that is the rule of most religions in this world Avram has a new, blazes a new path in spirituality, a new path in connection to God, and that is through the idea of bris. What is the idea of circumcision? Well, what is a bris? If you think about it, bris is usually translated into English as a covenant. What is a covenant? I don't know what a covenant is. 
So in modern Hebrew, the United States is called Artsot Habrit, the land of the bris, the land of the circumcision. That doesn't make much sense. Really, the word bris means a covenant. It's a pact. The United States. It's a land of unity. The idea of a bris is a deep relationship. It's like back in the day, before AIDS was a thing, when kids wanted to like make a pact with each other, they became blood brothers. They each cut their finger and they put the blood together so that each of us has a part of us. That's the idea of a bris. In the Torah, bris always requires cutting something away. The terminology in the Torah of creating a pact between two people, like a peace treaty, is krisus bris, cutting a bris. And in general, in the ancient world, when two people would make a pact, some sort of a peace treaty or a contract, the, bi- the law was binding when they each took something and gave something to the other of their own. So oftentimes an animal would become, would be taken, a sacrifice, slaughtered and, and cut in half. And one person would take half of the meat and the other person would take the other half to symbolize that we are now becoming one. We're sharing something together. So the idea of bris is a deep connection, a deep, deep and intimate connection. God says to Avram, I want to make a pact between you and all of your descendants forever that we are going to have a special relationship. And the symbol of that bris is going to take place on the most physical part of the most physical gender of the body. God says, because I want my relationship with you to take place in the physical. Not in meditating and disconnecting from the physical world, but in bringing me into physicality. That's where I want to have my relationship with you. That's the message of bris. Bris represents connection between heaven and earth. And that takes place on the most physical part of the body. Because if you think about it, the place of the bris, the sexual act, is not only the most physical pleasure that we have in this world, that can be so easily corrupted and abused when looked at completely from physical eyes, but it's also the most spiritual part of the body. Why? Because through the act of procreation, we have the opportunity to become godlike because we can bring a soul into this world. That's what God does. God is the creator who creates, who gives life. The definition of life, according to Judaism and according to life, is the coming together of body and soul. That's what happens through the act of procreation. And not only that, but two people, when they're bonded in the bonds of marriage, can be united intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, and physically through that act of sexuality. It's the most spiritual thing. So the goal of Judaism, Avraham, the path that Avraham blazed, was to bring spirituality into physicality. Judaism is not about being holy and disconnecting from the physical world. On the contrary, it's about bringing God into our thoughts, speech, and action, into how we eat, how we conduct ourselves in business, how we farm, how we govern our cities. Every single aspect of the physical world is an opportunity to connect to spirituality, and that is the goal of Judaism and mitzvahs. Torah is a guide to bring the spiritual into the physical. 
And that's in fact the very first mitzvah given to Adam and Eve also, was to be fruitful and multiply. So, the commandment of bris is to channel your physicality, channel your sexuality. Don't cut the whole thing off, just snip the tip. Channel it. In the Talmud, there was a Roman who came to Rabbi Akiva to challenge him. The Romans and the Greeks were very much against the idea of circumcision because according to them, according to their ideology, the human body was the ultimate specimen of perfection. Come the Jews and actually tamper with the human body. Who are you to tamper with physicality, with the, with the human perfection? You're trying to play God? So says the Roman to Rabbi Akiva, how could you change the human body? You think you're better than God? And he said to him, who makes better things, God or man? And he expect Rabbi Akiva to say, of course, God makes better things than human beings do. But Rabbi Akiva said, on the contrary, human beings make better things than God does. The Roman was floored. What do you mean? Says Rabbi Akiva, God makes kernels of wheat, and human beings turn that wheat into flour, and from it make bread. God gives us the raw materials of the world. Our job is to perfect the world. That is the message of bris, is that we have to refine ourselves and channel our physical nature. Specifically, the male body, which is much more connected to physical pleasure than female, the male has to be channeled. Someone asked me last week, why does a woman not have to get a bris? So that's answer number one, is that a woman, according to the Torah, is much more innately connected to spirituality and community and giving relationships than a man. A man has to channel himself and learn to go beyond his physicality. Answer number two is that in Kabbalah, the male represents... There are ten different spiritual energies with which God created the world. The male represents the ninth energy, which is the bringing down of spirituality into the bris, which is the connector, which brings spirituality into physicality. And the female represents the mother earth, the vessel that receives the blessing from the spiritual. So there's the coming of heaven into earth. The female represents the 10th dimension, which is revelation of spirituality into the world. So that's really the message of Shabbos. Shabbos corresponds to that energy, which is the revelation of God in the world. So um, someone once asked me a great question. Uh, someone who was converting to Judaism said to me that according to Jewish mysticism, a convert to Judaism actually has a Jewish soul. And they were actually originally, their soul was part of the Jewish people and they have to convert just as a technicality. But she said to me, why do I have to convert if I already have a Jewish soul? What's the point of going through the process of conversion? So I said to her as follows that you might have a Jewish soul, but you don't have a Jewish body. The innovation of Abraham and the covenant that he made with God for all of his descendants is that our relationship with God will be in our bodies through the physical. And that's something unique to Judaism and to Jews. It's very unusual for people to connect to spirituality through physicality. And most of the world and most religions seek to distance themselves from, from physicality in order to connect to, to, the, to the spiritual. But that's not the case with Judaism because of this covenant that Avram made with God. So if anyone thinks that being Jewish means that you're more spiritual or better in some way or more righteous or holier than non-Jews, that's absolutely false. That is not correct. There are plenty of spiritual and incredibly white, righteous non-Jews. 
What's unique about being Jewish is your physicality, not your spirituality. It's that your physicality can also be spiritual. That's the mission of Abraham and his descendants, to reveal God in the physical world. It's not about meditating on God. It's about getting up and serving guests. I once, many years ago, uh, interviewed a rabbi from England who created an organization in which he exported Israeli ingenuity in development to third world countries. So he brought like farming techniques to African countries. He helped set up orphanages in, in different countries. And one thing that was very striking that he told me was that he went to India to teach them how to create volunteer ambulance corps. Um, a lot of cities in, in India, I don't remember which city he was telling me about, but have very few ambulances and massive populations. And uh, in Israel, they have the most um, advanced um, EMS, emergency service squads of volunteers. There's something called Hatzalah, which was developed in Brooklyn by a Hasidic Jew who one time witnessed a heart attack. And he was so heartbroken, literally, to have seen a heart attack. He said, I have to get trained. And he started training and getting volunteers to train as, in par- as paramedics. And now in any Jewish community, if a person, God forbid, ever has a, a health emergency, call Hatzalah, and they will be there much faster than 911. Because literally one time, I, my kid, a couple of times, actually happened to a couple of my kids, that they got hurt, and we had to call uh, Hatzalah, and within a matter of seconds, there were like five guys at our house who just literally work from their home or in offices nearby. They literally drop everything and run to our house and uh, were able to help us. Thank God it was never anything so urgent. Couple of kids needed stitches, whatever. Um, but uh, it's unbelievable. I actually one time heard a story from a friend of mine who was uh, in Queens College in the library when someone suddenly had uh, a seizure, an epileptic seizure, and people were freaking out. And my friend called Hatzala. Within seconds, a couple of Orthodox Jews ran into the room and administered first aid, got the situation under control, and left. And suddenly, everyone in the library turns to my friend who was standing there wearing a yarmulke. And they're like, wow, can all Jews do that? And it was such an amazing testament to the, 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 the power of the Jewish people when we come together to try to change the world. So this guy I was interviewing in London told me that in India, people dropped dead on a regular basis. Death was such a part of life because they just didn't have the tools to save people's lives. And, but the thing is that he noticed that it didn't really bother people because Eastern religions are so spiritual that they recognize that death is just another part of life. It's not something to be shunned or afraid of. It's, a, it's another part of reality and everything is good. Everything is from God. Now the truth is, is that the Torah also views death in the same light, that death is just a portal to the next world. But on the other hand, we have a very different perspective to suffering, sickness, and poverty. Again, the Talmud asks, Rabbi Akiva, the Roman asks Rabbi Akiva, if your God is so great, why is there poverty in the world? And Rabbi Akiva answers, the reason there's poverty is for us to do something about it. Our job is to change the world. We're partners with God in perfecting an imperfect world precisely for that reason, because God wants us to put the pieces of the puzzle together to create a better world than we were given. 
It's the same message of the bris, that we have to perfect ourselves in the world. There's a famous story told of uh, Martin Buber, who was a Jewish philosopher. At one time, he was having a meditative experience. He was meditating and having a very spiritual experience when suddenly he heard a knock on the door. And he was very perturbed. Someone was disturbing him for meditation. He ignored it. And the knock came again. He's like really annoyed. Finally, he's like, okay, gets up, opens the door. What do you want? And he sees a very timid looking man. The man's like, oh, I'm so sorry to bother you. He realized that it wasn't a good time. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll come back another time. The man left. Martin Buber went back to meditating. And only later did he find out that that man had been coming as a cry for help and ended up not being able to speak to him and ended up committing suicide later that day. So he realized and recognized that true spirituality is interrupting your meditation in order to talk to God. So the message of this week's Parsha, Avraham receives a bris, and in doing so, he brings a higher level of spirituality into the physical physicality of the world. According to Kabbalah, the sun represents God in his essence. Something called the sheath on the sun represents the mask that God wears, the world of nature that hides God, the world of multiplicity and suffering and chaos and randomness in which we live, in which it's very easy to deny the fact that there's a creator and a purpose. When Avraham circumcised himself, God took away, just like he removed a layer from his body, a layer of physicality, God took away the sheath from the sun, revealed a higher level of revelation that comes about through the act of doing circumcision. And suddenly, Avraham's body became more holy. As it says later on in the Parsha, Avraham and Isaac go off to the mountain to perform what's called the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. And Avraham says to Yishmael, his other son, stay here with the donkey. And the word for donkey in Hebrew is chamor, which means physicality. He says to Yishmael, you can't come with me. You're not, your body is incapable of connecting in the same way. You have to stay with the body, but I'm going to bring my body with me into my spirituality. And that's literally the message. Avraham circumcises himself, a new level of spirituality comes into the world, and suddenly Avraham's seeing angels everywhere. His body literally becomes a chariot that reveals God in the world. And now, when Avram says to God, stay here, I have to go greet guests, he's not telling God, don't, I don't want to meditate, I would rather feed guests. No, he's saying, God, come with me. Come with me as I feed guests. That's the innovation of Brit's meal. That's the innovation of Judaism, is that feeding guests, doing physical mundane activities, is a revelation of God. And God is in us as we go to try to make the world a better place. I wish you a beautiful Shabbos and look forward to speaking with you next week.